holidays. Uh, the Thanksgiving season is upon us. Is it a season for Thanksgiving? I guess it's a holiday season. I don't know if Thanksgiving really gets its own season. Somebody said that the other day. They were just like, oh, the holiday season is upon us. And I was like, Thanksgiving's not really a season. Yeah. We kind of have fall. It's part of the larger holiday season, but I don't think there is a Thanksgiving season. No, you have like Thanksgiving week. Yeah. You, you really start to think about it. And um, you obviously you get the bird and you get all the fixings and everything you can. Um, but in terms of it being like, we don't li- listen to Thanksgiving music for three weeks or we don't watch Thanksgiving right. specials for three weeks. Right. Uh, you watch it the week of and then Thursday happens and you know everything's in your belly and then that, that's the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I just lied to you and I apologize. But there's no Thanksgiving <laughs> season, and I wish you a happy Thanksgiving season. But happy Thanksgiving, I guess, is what we're driving at. And for all of our international listeners, this doesn't apply to you, and I'm sorry for digressing for so long about the definition of a season or not for an American holiday. We're already past Canadian Thanksgiving. That was like several weeks ago, and uh, now we're into American Thanksgiving. And the whole thing is off the rails, and we're like four minutes into the episode, and I'm sorry, okay? It's okay, Tyler. It's not your fault. <laughs> Uh, I will go into goodwill hunting mode if you need me to. It's not your fault. <laughs> Welcome into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. My name is Tyler Mon. His name is Sam Dykstra. We've got a lot coming up for you on the show today. It is uh, our Thanksgiving week episode, so a little bit different from normal episodes. Uh, instead of being by an interview uh, or by Ben or or the rest of our regular weekly schedule of events, next segment we will rehash our preseason predictions for 2020. So back, you may recall, uh, in July, we recorded an episode with our good friends, Josh Jackson and Kelsey Hannigan, and uh, gave our picks for uh, what we thought would transpire during the 2020 Major League Baseball season. Spoiler alert, uh, not a whole lot of our predictions were correct, but uh, we're going to break down what we chose, what went wrong, what went right, if we did get them right, and uh, and all of that. That's coming up here in a little bit. Uh, but it's, it's Thanksgiving week, as I've mentioned 75 times. And uh, the thing that we are going to discuss in our opening segment this has not been an easy year, obviously, for uh, for us at MILB.com or for minor league baseball's offices or for teams across the country. We did not get any minor league baseball in 2020. This is a thing that has been a lifeblood uh, to all of us for, for quite some time. I started uh, my first season working in minor league baseball was 2009. And, uh, you know, I know for Ben and for Josh and for you, Sam, and for Kelsey and for so many other people on our staff, uh, Andrew Batterfrano has been around for, for so long, and Michael Avalon and our editors, Darren Smith and Paige Schechter and Dan Marinas and Allison Creekmore. I mean, our whole department, um, we look forward to sort of the rising of the, the baseball season in spring and the setting in the fall, and that's what our worlds revolve around. And we didn't get that this year. Um, so that's been tough, but this is a time of year to reflect and think about the things that we are grateful for. And there still is a lot of that in minor league baseball. So we're going to talk about some of that before we get to our, uh, our preseason prediction revisiting. Uh, so Sam, what's, what's the thing that stands out to you from 2020 that you're most thankful for about minor league baseball? Yeah, I'll shout out two things real quick. And I know I'm usually the baseball person, right? I'm so much more focused on the field and I'm here to talk to you guys about prospects and how guys improved and what they did on their roads to you know, Major League Baseball. But I think the thing that just stood out to me this year and what I'm really thankful for are two things. One of which is how much minor league clubs are pillars of their community. 
Um, how many times this year did we hear about events that happened at minor league stadiums to try to get everybody to not get everybody together? Obviously, the, we're in a time of social distancing and all that, but you know, to be a place where you could pick up ballpark food or you could donate things to to the community. And um, you know, we talked to Ben a while back about Rocket City trying to set a record, and they didn't quite get there. But guess what? They still got a lot done for their surrounding area. Um, you know, these places aren't just stadiums. They aren't just people based in an office who know how to pull tarp every once in a while. They are, they are community leaders and they, they are involved in the community. They are very much in that fabric. So that's one thing I, I'm grateful for uh, here in 2020 is the role that Meyer League clubs played in getting us all through this, whether they were in your community or whether they were just trying to find ways to keep us all engaged online or, or what have you. Um, but also the inventiveness. That's the, the second thing I'll sh shout out is Lord knows my, nobody invents uh, more in sports than minor league baseball needs to. A lot of that is done out of necessity during a regular season. You know, you, you got games almost every night of the week. Uh, you got to pull people in in April when it's cold and in the summer when it's hot and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they try to find ways to, to bring you there and, and to make it an enjoyable experience for the entire family. And the way we saw teams invent new ways to use their ballpark, I, I know I keep going back to a New England example, but Pawtucket turning McCoy Stadium in the last year that McCoy Stadium is going to be a AAA ballpark, uh, turning it into a place where people can eat. They can eat on the field that Red Sox minor leaguers and alt-site players uh, got to play on earlier in the day. And, you know, it was a restaurant by night and a ball field by day. That's amazing. That's so cool. Uh and, you know, they, they needed to find ways to obviously get through this financially for themselves, but also just to keep on as much staff as possible to keep things moving. It seems like this was a really a year in which so many front offices had to put their heads together and think, what can we do? Uh, and a lot of them came through and hopefully a lot of them are going to come through on the other side. Uh, but to, to watch that from afar and see what clubs did this year. It's something I'm really grateful for. And hopefully that means even more wacky ideas when we get baseball back again and everybody can fill into stadiums by the thousands. And, uh, you know, hopefully we don't even need a, a bobblehead or some sort, of, some sort of theme night to get people out because it'll just be nice to be among each other. We're not there yet. I'm not advocating for everybody to rush out to the ballpark next April uh, if, the, if a vaccine isn't ready and if health officials aren't saying we should do that. But um, yeah, it, given all the brain power that went into minor league teams trying to do something this year, I think the sky's the limit for the next step for them. And uh, I'm really grateful for this and I'm really grateful for whatever comes next for all these clubs. Yeah, I think the, the thing that stands out most to me in 2020 is the outpouring of love that we've gotten from uh, so many people who just love minor league baseball for what it has meant to them in their lives. Obviously, you know, as noted, this has not been an easy year for uh, any of us who are in the, the minor league baseball realm. And we're still kind of waiting on pins and needles for what things look like in, you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months or whatever it is. But to see this constant outpouring of how much people love minor league baseball, they value minor league baseball, what it means to their communities, what it means to their families uh, and all of that minor league baseball occupies this place in Americana and in people's hearts that, I don't think other sports really lay the same claim to. And it's been neat to see that so vocalized in 2020. And uh, it's, you know, obviously 
every year comes with its its own set of challenges, but we have all faced so many dark things in 2020. And to be continually reminded that there are people out there who value your industry or your work or whatever it is, that's meant a lot to a lot of us. And for all of you out there who have listened to the podcast, who have gotten in touch with us for over emails or social media or whatever it is, just know that it is extremely appreciated. And it's, it's kept us lifted up in a lot of times this year when we felt pretty down. And that's been really amazing for us to see and to feel all year long. Yeah. And to all the guests we had on the show as well, um, people being willing to give their time and, and speak about baseball at times. You know, I, one of the interviews I keep going back to was Christian Robinson. Um, I don't yeah. know if you can remember way back to that title. That was in March, basically yeah. right after we found out that everything's on pause. We don't know what, what the world's going to look like. And I was trying to think of like, who's around, who could we talk to? Christian Robinson's a big name. Um, let's see if we can talk to him and he, he walked us through what happened at Arizona camp and um, yeah. gave us like 25, 30 minutes. I, I know a lot of us didn't have anything to do. We were all stuck at home, but um, still like the conversations we have with Tyler Stevenson, that was, that was awesome. Cause we talked yeah. to him for like an hour afterwards. And the interview we did a 30 was minute interview. And then we talked to him for an hour after we got done uh, with the interview segment. Right. And, and part of that was great because we, uh, you know, he's uh, one of the interview questions I know I come back to a lot is like, what do you envision your first major league get back going like? And he hit a home run in his first major league get back. Yeah. So that was really cool. And if you listen to that interview, you got to hear about him borrowing a kid's net, I think, like to hit yeah. into during quarantine, yeah. stuff like that. And uh, next door neighbor. Yeah. Tyler's going to mention this later, but our conversations with Josiah Gray and Nick Heath, um, Nick Heath, especially, we talked to him for so long about his experience coming up as a black minor leaguer and what he's seen and what he's heard and what he hopes the sport and the world and the country and all that become next. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're people who ask questions, right? That's our job. We're trying to get stories out of people. Um, but to people give, to give those stories so judiciously and, and spend their time with us, uh, basically every week is I'll, I'll eternally be grateful for that. That's not just something this week. Uh, that's something that I carry every week with me every month and every time we get to turn on the mics and, and do this job. So with that, uh, we'll wrap up our brief opening segment on this week's episode of the show before the show, Kelsey Hannigan and Josh Jackson coming up next. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. So diving into the results of our preseason picks, uh, I gave a, a quick glance at the email which Sam sent out all of our 
predictions for the 2020 season. And then when we all hopped on the Zoom call, I said, so did any of us get anything right? <laughs> Which, uh, very, very little. But with that, we're going to get to go through all of them with our pals, Kelsey Hannigan and Josh Jackson, who joined the show. Hello, you two. How are you? Hello. Hello. <laughs> I just want to say that Josh messaged me two minutes ago and said, quote, you should know that my phone is across the room. So if you're texting me hilarious or hateful things, I'll be impervious to them. Because ordinarily, if we do a call like this, I just text Josh the most ridiculous stuff. It's usually jokes from this TV show that we both uh, find hilarious or I'll send him memes or something. But you, you've, uh, you've defeated me now. At last. At long last. I'm powerless to do this. Um, so let's uh, let's dive in. How, Sam, do we want to do this? Should we just go category by category the way we did? Uh, obviously, we're not going to go into full-on breakdowns of things, but we'll have some conversation for uh, the things that we whiffed on, which are most of these picks. Uh, should we just start at the top, work our way through? Yeah, I, I think, Tyler, you introduce the categories that we went through. Just give everybody a refresher on um, what we did way back when it really wasn't that long ago no because it, it was a 60 game season um but anyway uh yeah revisit the categories then sit, tell the audience who each of our picks were and we'll just go through we'll do it the same way we did when we did the actual show which is we'll kind of snake through everybody and uh you know give our thoughts on how things worked out what we got wrong what we got right there are some we got right i'm just going to say that from the top i know Tyler's be a lot more conversation of what we got wrong yeah no, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk more about what I got right than what I got wrong. To be honest. But, um, but yeah, so we'll just kind of snake it through. Um, you guys have the email. We'll go Sam, Tyler, Kelsey, Josh, and then reverse it. Josh, Kelsey, Tyler, Sam for the next category and make our way through all this. All right, here we go. We're going to start it off with, uh, we had, let's see, in total, I believe there were nine categories. The one that we opened with, not surprisingly, rookies of the year. So we talked about uh, the player who would likely be a former prospect by the end of the season, not necessarily, but likely, uh, and one who would win the 2020 rookie of the year uh, in the shortened season that was the Major League Baseball campaign this year. Um we did not get anybody right. So the winners, actual winners, Devin Williams, a relief pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, who also won reliever of the year in the National League, and Kyle Lewis, the stud outfielder for the Seattle Mariners. Um, Sam, would you – wait, are we reading our own picks? No, you, you read it Oh, I, I read them all. And then yeah. you justify or explain exactly your thing. Okay. Sam had Dylan Carlson of the St. Louis Cardinals and Luis Robert of the Chicago White Sox. Uh, I – had Gavin Lux of the Los Angeles Dodgers along with Luis Robert. Kelsey also had those two picks. And Josh likewise had those two picks. And uh, none of us, we unanimously picked that Luis Robert would win it in the American League. And not only did he not win it, he didn't get a first place vote, which did sort of surprise me. I didn't expect him to win it by the end of the season, but Kyle Lewis was a unanimous selection. Yeah. I mean, I think just Kyle Lewis got off to such a hot start. I mean, he talked about this a little bit when the season ended and, and uh, the BBWAA votes actually came out. Um, but Kyle Lewis just got off to such a hot start, definitely cooled down the end, but so did Luis Robert. Um, didn't really catch him. Uh, Luis Robert did get a gold glove, so he does have that now. Uh, and that's something we all talked about when picking for the American League was that this was a real five-tool prospect. Maybe the bigger question was the hit tool. Um, he had some strikeout issues in the minors. How are those going to come out? Those were a little bit of an issue for him this year, um, less so for Kyle Lewis, who 
just overall put up the better offensive numbers. We're going to get into home runs in a little bit. Um, but for, for national league, you know, we, we recorded the podcast right after Gavin Lux got sent down to the alternate site. And we all thought at the time, even me who, who chose Dylan Carlson, that Gavin Lux was going to be there for a brief amount of time. Um, but I thought Dylan Carlson could come up even quicker. He didn't really get that chance. Even when he did come up, he struggled a little bit uh, for the Cardinals. The Cardinals had outfield, you know, was an issue for them at, at times this year for actually much of the season. Uh, and I thought Carlson could kind of break through there. He eventually was a starter, but he even got sent back down, which was disappointing. Uh, I think over 162 game season, Carlson could have been in that mix. He needed to kind of find his bearings. And I think he did there towards the end. Uh, but, you know, only over 60 games, if, if you get sent down again, that that's a real hamper to your uh, chances. So, um, but, you know, speaking of Devin Williams being a reliever, I don't think he was on any of our cards. If you were to give us 25 prospects who could have won this year, uh, his changeup was absolutely devastating. I'll get into that a little bit more later. Uh, but for the voters, it was really hard to overlook a 0.33 ERA over 22 appearances, even if it was as a reliever in a short amount of time. He just had such an impact uh, that we, we really couldn't see coming. You can never predict a 0.33 ERA. Um, so that's just kind of the way it goes on that end. But um, yeah, Kelsey, how are you feeling? about yours afterwards and, or I guess Tyler, you're next, but um, yeah, with Lux and Robert, how do you feel like that age and, and specifically what do you feel like went wrong with Lux? Um, you know, I mean, I think that's a good question. Like you said, he had just been sent down when we started recording. We did not see him in the major leagues until August 27th, which was way later than, uh, than certainly I anticipated. And he just never really found much of a groove. I know the strikeouts are a pretty big problem, uh, for Gavin Lux. He struck out, I think in 14 of the 19 games that he played at the major league level, he only ended up hitting 175 with a 596 OPS. Uh, I feel bad doing this to Gavin Lux because today is his 23rd birthday. So happy birthday to Gavin Lux. Um, he's going to be fine. I mean, I'm not certainly worried about Gavin Lux. I think the issue has been just somewhat sporadic um, time at the big league level over the last couple seasons. In 2019, makes up to the majors, only plays in 23 games. That's 240 with a 705 OPS. I think if he were to get regular time, he's going to be exactly the guy that we expect him to be. That just did not happen this year. And then Luis Robert, all the things you said about Luis Robert. I'm not going to, I'm not going to expand on them. I don't have anything smart to add there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you guys kind of said it all. I mean, Luis Robert, you still tied uh, Lewis with 11 home runs to lead uh, MLB rookies, and he tied us and led MLB rookies with 31 RBIs. There is a year or world where that would be enough to win Rookie of the Year. Plus, we said his defense. So I'm still happy with Robert. And then, like you said, with Gavin Lux, he just did enough at bats to be consistent. So, I mean, I feel good about what he does next year and what he builds off of this. I mean, in many years, in many ways, maybe this was just his way of kind of getting all of those nerves and all of those bats out of the way. And then next year, he'll be ready to go from the get-go. Josh, anything to add on Lux and Robert? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, not really, but I'll anyway. The <laughs> What went wrong for, for Lux is really, I think, and this is just piling on to, to what people have said, but is what went right for the Dodgers. Um, and in terms of like need and um, and strength in positions where, where he would be plugged in. Um, obviously that was a pretty good ball club this year. Um, so, you know, I, 
Um, yeah, and when with Robert, I don't think anybody. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously a heck of a year. I, I think we should for a second just pause to um, consider how great the, this this is to like Kyle and ending. This is to Kyle Lewis's sort of minor league tenure. Um, it hasn't always been uh, sunshiny and it's been a lot of like, gee, he could be so good. I hope it's going to work out. And a lot of that, of course, was, is just injuries, just that like the knee problem that seemed it, like, I don't know, I'm not, it seemed to me that the <laughs> time has no meaning anymore, but I'm pretty sure for like 15 years there, Kyle Lewis was in the minor leagues with a, with a knee injury. <laughs> That That's what it felt like right to you guys. Yeah, it was yeah. like it was like oh he's gonna miss most of this season, and then the next season it was like oh he's he's doing well, but that knee is you know still kind of questionable, and um, and every time that you know anybody really got to see him play for a stretch, he pretty much did. He he got on base, um, he hit for power, um, and performed at you know like the kind of player that everybody hoped he would be, but it was sort of easy. I feel like for a little while to start to wonder if he was going to be one of those players who just like, I mean, either end up not making it to the majors. Um, but, but yeah, it's weird because obviously um, he's a player now who you can see like becoming an all-star multiple seasons. So I think that's like the happiest um, best possible outcome for that for that story and uh and you know kudos for him and um all the everything that he did to get himself into the position where like in 2016 we all probably thought he was going to be um and then you know maybe that that faith might have wavered for a lot of people around in you know the next couple of years there so i i think that's the the great thing here that no of course of course none of us picked him um, to, to be rookie of the year, because I think any of us would have been just thrilled for him to see him have like a pretty good major league season. Um, so that's what I have to say about that. I also want to mention that Devin Williams, this is just, you know, Sam, Sam mentioned that 0.33 ERA. I just want to mention 27 innings and 53 strikeouts because that um, to me is a little bit hard. Pretty to ridiculous. Yeah. Pretty ridiculous. Um, so let's move on to uh, another category involving Rookie of the Year. We also picked Dark Horse Rookie of the Year candidates. Um, and I am going to start with Josh, uh, who selected a guy. We had some names in here of players who we thought would factor into this conversation, some of whom did not make the major leagues. Uh, but Josh's selection, I think, was a good one. Uh, he just didn't make it into uh, into the big leagues this year. Oh, did he? Did he not oh, win? Oh wait! Oh wait! I have to read. I have to read them all out. <laughs> uh, Mackenzie Gore, the San Diego Padres. I also don't know why you only have one. Lazy. <laughs> he didn't think we needed that's, one of these. That's, that's fine, Josh. To do half-ass work on this podcast, that's fine. Um, <laughs> Kelsey, uh, Cecil Sanchez of the Miami Marlins, and Brady Singer, the Kansas City Royals. Um, I had a, a very dark horse pick with Shogo Akiyama, the Cincinnati Reds coming over from Japan and Jared Kelnick at the Seattle Mariners, who also did not make the major leagues. Uh, and Sam sticking with the brand picked another Sam and Sam Hilliard of the Colorado Rockies uh, and Evan White of the Seattle Mariners. Josh McKenzie Gore uh, would have been a fantastic selection. 
Well, first of all, let me say, if you go back and listen to the podcast, I think I said my dark horse candidate was that there would be no American League Rookie of the Year. Ah, <laughs> this is not no. true. This uh, is not yeah, true. Yeah, I don't think that's true. Check the tape. This is not true. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But, uh, yeah, you know, Mackenzie Gore. Um, yeah, the question, he'll come up again, linked to my name. <laughs> and the question for me was um, how much playing time he would get. And I did, you know, I still kind of feel like had there been, had, had this been like the year for him to get a lot of major league exposure? Sure. <laughs> I, I think he might've been in that conversation. He, he at very least has the potential. Um, it's interesting thinking ahead to, you know, 2021. Um, he's one of every prospect who in, in a way, you know, lost a lot in, in the season um, by not being in, in, you know, competitive games every you know, for him every five days or every five games. Um, but, you know, he's still any, any year that he is a rookie, I think he's a fine rookie of the year candidate. What made him a dark horse rookie of the year candidate is I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't so sure he would get up there and he didn't. So. All right. That's yeah. fair. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, fire away. Yeah, so I had Brady Singer, which I still feel I mean somewhat decent about. He did lead rookies with 61 strikeouts. Spoiler alert for our later conversation. Um, and he did show glimmers of success a few times. Like he had a few scoreless outings, a few quality starts. Um, what's also exciting is I think that he's just a pitcher that a lot of Royals fans can really like sink their teeth into and be really excited to have you know a homegrown pitcher continue on um, in the way that they had cranky before and you know the Royals fans that I know from just from going to Mizzou like seem to really like him so I think that you know in a way he was a rookie of the year in the hearts of Royals fans and that counts for something um, and then I had Sixto Sanchez who you know we talked about the Royals I mean the Marlins and their you know how exciting they've been this year and I think he was a big part of that he didn't necessarily finish the regular season strong but he had a streak of, I think, like three or four starts in a row where he allowed a total of three earned runs. Um, so he was doing pretty well with his fastball that is grades out at 70. Um, and then in the postseason, he got a scoreless outing in the game that the Marlins won to eliminate the Cubs and go to the NLDS. So, you know, yes, they were not the front and center rookie of the year options, but I think that they're still pretty exciting. On uh, the selections that I, I kind of, and I admitted this, I think, during the uh, summer episode, my National League pick was kind of a cheat because Shoko Akiyama, not a prospect, and he was 32, but I thought, that's ah, sort of a cheat code for Rookie of the Year. What if he comes over 60-game season? He has a great, uh, a great debut season in Major League Baseball. Maybe he wins it. really wasn't, like, terrible. It wasn't a bad season. Uh, Akiyama played in 54 games for the Reds, hit 245. Uh, only a 654 OPS, but you know, getting adjusted to a, a new league and all that type of stuff. Um, on the other side, Jared Kelnick, uh, similarly to Mackenzie Gore, did not make his big league debut. But if you're a Mariners fan and he is, you know, knocking on the doorstep already, you've got one American League rookie of the year in your outfield right now. 
in a, a dude who you should really be excited about in Kyle Lewis. And Jared Kalanick potentially gives you another one next year. So that's nothing to be too down about. Um, Sam also had one from that organization and then one from, uh, from the National League as well. Maybe. I'm talking into a muted mic. This is becoming a podcast just for myself, I guess. Uh, I'll, I'll start with Evan White. No, I live my life. Yeah. Uh, Evan White, again, you know, we talked about this with Luis Robert, how he won a gold glove. Evan White won a gold glove this year, which was, uh, I think, wholly deserved. We've talked about this for a long time, but then we've even had him on the show to talk about his defensive prowess at first base, not a position we normally think of as being really good defensively, but he is exceptional over there. So I, that was never in doubt for me. It was how much is he going to hit? And I thought he did enough last year at double a uh, Arkansas, you know, he had a 132 WRC plus certainly can be a little bit of a pitcher's league at times. He slugged for 488. He had 18 homers in 92 games. I thought he did enough there to be like, okay, I see why they gave him the contract. Obviously Seattle saw something in him as well, giving him a major league deal. Uh, before he had debuted, before he'd even seen AAA. Uh, but the offense was a real struggle for him this year. He hit just 176. He struck out in 41.6% of his plate appearances. Did have eight homers. He played in 54 games, so they were willing to ride it out with him. And obviously, he's going to be a big piece of their future. If he can turn it around, that's going to be a big help to the next contending team in Seattle. Uh, but a 66 WRC plus, and he was worth negative 0.2 war, according to Fangraphs. So, a lot to grow on with the bat for Evan White, and that took him out of contention there. Uh, I should also point out with the gold gloves, because I mentioned them a couple times so far today, those were not voted on this year. Those were based exclusively on stats. Um, so obviously stats shine on him, which is great, and I, I'm sure his reputation will only grow from here, uh, but just something I want to throw out there. And then Sam Hilliard, I, I picked him based on what he did at the tail end last year with Colorado when he had an OPS above 1,000 when he had seven home runs in 27 games. Um, he's somebody who typically has stolen bases in the minor leagues, but just not something he did this year in the majors with, with the Rockies. Um, didn't really get consistent playing time either. Only played 36 games. Hit 210 with a 710 OPS. OPS. Again, the power for him is, is over the fence power. He had 10 extra base hits. Six of those were home runs. Uh, so there's some interesting pieces there with him, but in terms of him being a dark horse, I mean – I feel better about him being in this category than the first category. Uh, but yeah, just didn't quite come through with it on that. And it was funny re-listening to this episode because Sam Hilliard was, I could have used the same logic that I used with Hilliard and put it on Kyle Lewis. So when I heard myself making my AL pick and being like, and in the AL, I'm going to go with the Mariners. And I'm like, come on, come on, say it, say it. And I didn't because Kyle Lewis had a great ending to last year in the majors, got a little bit of confidence, got his feet wet and built on that in the way Hilliard didn't. And in the way Ivan White didn't even get a chance to last year. So the formula wasn't wrong. I just applied it in the incorrectly incorrect way. And that's what I'm going to stick with. Okay. Nate Silver. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, prospect home run champion two. Uh, of our pickers actually got half of this correct. Luis Robert and Kyle Lewis tied with 11 home runs apiece. Uh, both Sam and Josh picked Luis Robert. Sam also mentioned Kevin Crone, who is now off to play in Japan 
uh, following this 2020 season. Josh also mentioned Austin Hayes, who finished with four homers. Kelsey and I both went with Dylan Carlson, uh, who finished with three. As noted, not a, a great season for Dylan Carlson. But uh, Sam, kick us off. Luis Robert did not disappoint. No, he did not. And uh, the funny thing about this, too, is trying to remember where we were when we recorded this. And one of the greatest things about, um, you know, summer camp, if you can remember back to then was certain teams were very good about sharing video and the White Sox were one of them. And it felt like every day when we were checking Twitter, we were seeing another Louis Robert bomb. Um, And that's something we saw last year of Winston Salem, Birmingham uh, and Charlotte. And to see him carry that forward, especially after the long layoff of March, April, May, and June, uh, was really special. So it, it felt to me like he was going to be the go-to pick. Uh, and he came through in that way, 11 homers. Uh, 11 homers is not quite like major league leading uh, territory, you know, quite yet for him. And we'll see what that, where that power can go from there. Again, he, he had some problems with off-speed stuff. Uh, how is he going to correct that? And how are pitchers going to pitch him after now seeing him for 60 games, games and having 60 games of tape on him? Uh, we'll see how that goes forward and how the hit tool is going to play in the, into the power tool. But we know when he makes contact, it goes a long way. And it might be the most exciting tool he has in terms of highlight real stuff. Um, so, yeah, it was really exciting to see him come through in that way. Um, yeah, you know, thought Dylan Carlson was going to be one of those guys who, again, in a short season, it's so much that's difficult to predict about a, a year like this, but felt like he had the potential to do it and it just doesn't happen sometimes. And over a 60-game season, you don't really get – I think so many teams this year, you realize somebody's struggling and you don't want to continue to go to that well. Uh, and so Dylan Carlson just never really got it put together this year, but still think there's a very bright future for him. Um, I, we've talked a lot about Dylan Carlson already today, uh, so I'll be short. But I liked seeing him in the postseason, how exciting he was with Yachty batting behind him. Um, you know, he didn't hit a home run in the postseason, but he did have three hits, Fox, a stolen base, a couple runs scored. So he was like a part of the action for the limited time that we were in the postseason. Um, so I think that that's still encouraging for a team like the Cardinals, that like the postseason is where they live. Um, do I get an extra credit or a demerit for one of Austin Hayes' home runs being uh, an inside the parker? Ooh. If you had predicted it, credit. we would have given you credit. I think if you go back and listen to the tape, you'll find that I didn't. <laughs> Josh, you know, this tape exists on the internet. A lot of things exist on the internet, Kelsey. True. <laughs> one thing I want to point out, though, just to credit Kelsey and Tyler in terms of why Dylan Carlson was a good pick. Uh, I mentioned before he got sent down for a brief time for about two weeks uh, in September. When he came back, he, he played 12 games. He slugged 6-11 in those final 12 games. He obviously unlocked something. Now, 12 games isn't a huge sample, it's, but it's still a fifth of this season. Oh, see, when we did this category, I read it as who is going to be the best slugger in the final 12 games of his season. Well, I read that too. If you go back in the tape, that's what you'll hear. You check the tape. I'm sure you will find uh, that that was my that was my. He would have a pace of 15 home runs. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, man. Uh, let's move on to the pitching version of this same category, which is uh, the prospect strikeout champion. Brady Singer ends up taking that title with 61 strikeouts. Of course, Kelsey touched on Brady Singer a little while ago. Uh, Sam very nearly got there. He had Jesus Lazardo who finished with 59. I had Casey Mize, did not get as much big league time. He had 26. Uh, Kelsey and Josh both with good picks. Nate Pearson, he struck out 16, but spent some of the season injured uh, as well. So, Josh, I guess you can start us off talking about um, – or, Sam, is it you? I've already lost track. I think it's Josh. We're four categories in and I've yeah. lost track. Josh, tell us about Nate Pearson. Well, he was injured. He his I think it was um, some sort of strain on the throwing arm. Sam, help me out. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was it was a throwing arm injury um, for so, this year. Yeah, um, you know that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Uh, <laughs> I think he would have, I think he would have struck out more people had he not been injured and missed a significant amount of time. Uh, it's a bold declaration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, he had sixteen strikeouts and eighteen innings when he was healthy. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, um, yeah, 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 he. He is good, and he will be good when yeah. he is healthy. That is that true. Is our breaking hot take. Just to be more specific, it was a flexor strain in his right elbow. Um, but the fact that he That's returned at all. What? Josh said that. Check the tape. Yes. <laughs> Josh said that now yeah. or said that back? Yeah, he, no, he, he oh, did. Um, yeah, he made it back. And so, mm-hmm. like, I think that's a good a good thing for – for Blue Jay fans, there's no like, yeah. Uh, and then he missed the rest of the year, and now he's got this long, cold Toronto COVID winter. Not that he has to stay in, the, <laughs> but you know, uh, will he ever be the same again? It's like no, he he's, he'll be the same. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's the important thing to take away from his season. Um, I also just want to say that, just like thinking about when we record this, like in my notes, I wrote that he can make fast work at PNC Park. So. Ah, what a snapshot in time that was! I know, right? That was for the the sixteen hours that we thought they were going to be the Pittsburgh Blue Jays this year, and then they were going to be the Baltimore Blue Jays, and then they ended up as yeah. the Buffalo Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and folks, get ready for the Tampa Raptors come basketball season. Um, seven starts for Casey Mize. He did not get called up to the majors until August nineteenth. Uh, he had one pretty good start toward the tail end of his time in the big leagues five and a third uh on the road at whatever mortgage company field in chicago one hit a couple of runs walked two, struck out five that was really about the only great day uh for casey mize this year but again it's a guy who was in very limited exposure to the major leagues only 23 years old he was a first round first overall selection just two years ago definitely not worried about Casey Mize. And if I was a Tigers fan, um, you know, with the way the Tigers sort of hung around the playoff picture, didn't have a great season, but we're still in the mix uh, for a postseason spot. Getting Casey Mize some experience this year, that excites me, even if it wasn't pretty. I mean, he finishes the year with a 6.99 ERA. I'd still be excited because now 2021 Casey Mize has that experience under his belt. And I'm happier about that going forward than I would be if he had spent the whole year at the alternate training site. So I think uh, big strides there for Casey Mize um, did strike out 26. He only walked 13 uh, and 28 and a third, but uh, did not win the crown. Sam, very close with Jesus Luzardo though. You're only two off the pace. Yeah. Uh, and Jesus Luzardo just, you know, goes into a lot of what my theories were for these picks looking back on them, which was who played in the majors in 2019 and who did I think could propel that forward? 
Uh, and Luzardo, you know, had his own injury worries. I think at the beginning of the year, he actually, his first two appearances were out of the bullpen. They worked him slowly into it. And then he started making starts uh, at the beginning of August. Um, pretty consistently was about a strikeout an inning. That's actually exactly what his average was. 59 strikeouts, 59 innings. Not quite the year, I think, uh, that I thought he was capable of or that he probably the A's or even himself thought he was capable of. A 4-1-2 ERA, not great. A 4-1-9 FIP means that, you know, that wasn't fake. You didn't get unlucky. Um, that about lines up with what, you know, the the contact he was giving up. He gave up nine homers in, in uh, you know, in 11 appearance or 12 appearances, excuse me. Um, so, yeah, I, I still think good things are ahead for Hazel Cesardo, but in terms of him being the ace of the A staff, that's not quite happening. Uh, a solid two or three starter, that's more what we're, we're looking at with him. The strikeout numbers are still there. And, you know, age is still on his side as well. Uh, he, he just turned 23 in September. Um, so a lot of those guys are typically pitching at AAA, uh, maybe just getting their start. Now he's got two years of major league experience under his belt. We'll see where he can take that next step. And honestly, the example I'm going to carry forward with me for a while now is going to be Lucas Giolito. Now, Giolito, Luzardo has not been as bad as Giolito was at times for the White Sox. Um, but Giolito has shown us you can be a very, very, very good pitcher uh, in the minor leagues and have the foundation of a good pitcher and struggle for a little while in the majors and then find yourself again. Uh, Luzardo has all those makings that Giolito did. He has a little bit more success now than Giolito did to start his career. Expect him to take that leap or that next step. Um, it might still only be as a number two or three starter, but it'll be better than it was in 2020. Moving on to surprise debut. Uh, and I want to point out that there will be a specific category following this category to talk about how wrong my pick specifically was for this category, which I find curious. Uh, <laughs> Sam picked Braylon Marquez, who did make his debut on September 27th. I picked Wander Franco, the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Kelsey picked Jackson Rutledge. And Josh, who only selected one Dark Horse Rookie of the Year candidate, selected two candidates for this category. So Josh can't follow instructions. He picked Mackenzie Gore and Kiebert Ruiz. Uh, Ruiz, who did make his debut. Sam Marquez, kick us off. Yeah, so the, the Cubs actually did bring up Marquez for one game, uh, or he made one appearance anyways, on September 27th. Very late going kind of to get a look at him before the playoffs, which honestly is kind of what I expected. The reason why this was a surprise or I, I listed it as a surprise is he only had five starts at class A advanced Myrtle beach in 2019. Uh, he also had 17 starts at class A South Bend. This was a massive jump, but we saw this a lot uh, in 2020 guys getting called up from class A advanced. Sam Huff is another one that comes to mind. I'm sure there's lots of other names we've come up with, uh, but the majors were actually fairly aggressive and having guys skip not two levels, but three, sometimes even four levels uh, and getting them to the majors. Uh, Jose Garcia of the Cincinnati Reds is another one that comes to mind right away right now. Uh, but Marquez turned 21 in January, can throw really hard from the left side. That's always going to get you a long look. Uh, unfortunately, his one appearance didn't go well. He allowed five earned runs. He walked three batters, gave up two hits, and I think he had two wild pitches as well. Control is going to be a major issue for him. He's kind of that typical 
uh, pitching prospect style right now. You know, he's at six foot four. He's got the frame to do it. He just needs to control himself. And, you know, he's got the heat to, to pitch really well. But if they, if this time next year we're saying the same things about him, okay, you start talking about moving him to the bullpen uh, exclusively. We'll see if the Cubs have that conversation with him even earlier next year, something to watch, um, but still really need to see them give him his chance like this. And now he can say he's been in the majors uh, at 21 and maybe he goes to double a next year, maybe even goes to triple a knowing that he, he at least reached the show. Uh, so something to follow with him going forward, but anything going forward with him won't, won't be a surprise now that this debut is out of the way. Uh, Wander Franco did not debut, although there was some speculation that maybe he would in the postseason, maybe even in the World Series. Uh, he did not, and uh, I guess that's that. <laughs> He's currently playing right now uh, in the Dominican Republic, although he has missed the last couple of games uh, with what seems like a, a fairly minor injury. But, uh, you know, I wanted to make a bold pick. It's a, it's a surprise debut category, but he didn't make it. Well, so it's that's okay. That. My pick also did not make it. I picked Jackson Rutledge of the Nationals. He was their first rounder last year um, out of a JUCO in Texas. So he also installs, so he does have you know, big game experiences. Uh, he has a 70 grade fastball that mixes well with the plus slider. And yeah, like Tyler said, you got to think outside the box or be really bold. Um, so I picked him, but he did not get called up. So he did do well in Fredericksburg at the alt training site. And the Nats said that he like, uh, improved his ability to repeat his delivery and made some big strides. So who knows, maybe next year. Maybe, maybe next year. <laughs> um, yeah. So Mackenzie Gore, we've I've, I've touched on before. Didn't, did not, did not pitch in the major leagues this year or in the minor leagues for that matter. Um, and Kevin Ruiz, he did, he did make a debut. He played a couple games. He hit a home run in one of them. Uh, um, so, you know, that's an outstanding pick, I think. No, I'm, uh, I don't, you know, I'm walking that back a little bit. I don't think it's that great of a pick because, to be honest with you, uh, in the scenario I was, I was envisioning, I, I think I imagined him playing more than two games, doing more than a debut, um, and sticking around for a little bit. Um, and I envisioned that happening maybe through some injuries, some roster you know, some un, unforeseen roster juggling uh, or a need for that on, on the big club, on the Dodgers. And um, instead, I mean, Will Smith um, did a little unforeseen roster business of his own there and and did kind of the lion's share of the, or I mean, at least half, let me look here. Um, yeah, he did most of the, the catching for the Dodgers and um, yeah, did a heck of a job too. Um, so it wasn't, it was not sort of the prime conditions for the, uh, the K Bear Ruiz surprise debut that I, uh, had envisioned that said he did indeed, um, debut and I will, uh, collect my trophy when this recording is over. And Josh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more credit too, because he was on the wild card series roster as well. Yes, that's, yes. Back, back when in the postseason teams were like maybe we should carry three catchers because it's a 28 man now and um, that's how we'll make the space and and you know austin barnes and 
Uh, Will Smith, like you said, both of those guys could also DH at times. So Ruiz, in his own way, was a useful member of the Dodgers roster, even if he didn't actually get in many games played on the field. Yes. So double the trophy. Double the trophy. Yes. That's, exactly. that's what you should take away from that, Josh. Um, what I would like to take away from this is why we then had a subsequent category just for the three of you to disagree with my pick. We had a whole category, evidently, uh, as Sam put in the email, titled, Does Wander Franco Debut? And I said yes, and it says, Sam, comma, Josh, comma, Kelsey, dash, no. What was so this category all, the, all about? Sensible all Americans the, say no. Yes, <laughs> three, every, three out of four Americans say no. Tyler alone says yes. Uh, but no, the, this sprung out of, I actually wanted to make this a category because I do feel like it was going to be a hot button issue this year. And then Tyler said, you know, Wander Franco was going to be I his dark. Bold. Yeah, was his bold prediction to, to make his debut. Wander Franco being the number one overall prospect and in such a weird year, talk about somebody who had only played a Class A advanced, were they going to push him to the majors? If that happened, that would have been our, our story of the year. That would have been massive. Um, instead, it, it wasn't. Uh, it, it didn't happen. But I, I, when you said that, I wanted to open it up to the group. I didn't put it in our initial notes, but I opened it up to the group after that. Um, so... That's I guess funny. I'll ask the, the other question. Should he have this year? Ooh, I'm going to say no. I don't, don't want to rush him. Yeah, I mean, they made it to the World Series without him. They, I guess they, 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 they were did, doing fine. They did pretty well. Also, they did pretty no well. Needed, also, he would have taken away a lot of attention from Randy Rosarino, who deserved all the attention this year. I was going to say, when the Dylan Carlson conversation came up, I was I was going to tell Cardinals fans not to think too much about who could have been in that outfield also, but uh, had to bring it up anyway. Sorry, Cardinals fans. Dylan, Dylan Carlson's going to be fine. He'll be fine. And but, Matthew Libertor <laughs> will probably be fine. Right. Exactly. But it was probably not super fun during the World Series or the ALCS or the ALDS or the wild card round. Um, okay. Moving on from category specifically to dissect how wrong I was. Uh, surprise team to use prospects. Sam and I both picked, I think, probably the best selection here, but I don't think it happened in the manner that we expected. We both selected the Miami Marlins, which we will dive into here. Uh, Kelsey picked the New York Yankees, specifically talking about their young pitchers. Uh, and Josh chose the Minnesota Twins. Alex Kirilov is kind of the one that he pointed out. Josh, uh, you're up first. Tell us about your, your twin selection. Yes. Um, evidently, I picked the Twins. <laughs> I have not much memory of, of what I was thinking in this in this category, to be honest, but I can tell you that in addition to Kirilov, the Twins got a good 26 game out of uh, games out of uh, Ryan Jeffers um, and, uh, you know, put up pretty good offensive numbers for for a uh, catcher coming up in that position. And um, yeah, Lamonte Wade also played in 16 games for them. I, 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 uh, I'm a pretty bright guy. Kelsey, the Yankees and their pitching staff. Uh, well, so I'm glad that I specifically said pitchers because the Yankees used nine rookies this year. Eight were pitchers. So there you go. Um, specifically, Nick Nelson, Michael King, and Davey Garcia got most of the work. Um, but yeah, eight, eight pitchers, that's, that seems good that they relied on them. I mean, obviously, the Yankees are tend to be injury prone over the past few years. And this year, I mean, they had you know, Severino and Canley at times, and obviously Paxton was gone. 
Um, but for the most part, they weren't as injury prone as they can be. So that was where my initial prediction was at. Um, but no, I like what they, I think Davey Garcia, you know, he got off to a strong and then kind of slowed down as he went on. Um, but what I loved about what he was doing was that the Yankees were leaving him in. Like he pitched seventh inning, five of his seven starts. And I mean, I, maybe it's just from watching the postseason as my most recent baseball, but like having a young guy pitch in the seventh inning is crazy. Um, to have him do it all the time is very encouraging. So, I mean, yeah, I didn't pick, you know, the best answer, but I, I'm, I'm happy with it. Sam and I both choosing the Marlins. I think we kind of felt like the Marlins, you know, maybe they catch lightning in a bottle. They get out to a good start and you start drawing on some of this young talent uh, to bolster your chances of making a run in the National League East. The Marlins ended up having to draw on that young talent because their roster was ravaged by COVID early on in the season. So when you look back at the conclusion of 2019 and the top prospect list uh, from that group, Sixo Sanchez obviously makes a, a big impact this year. Uh, Jesus Sanchez, the outfielder who was their number three prospect, got some big league time. Jazz Chisholm was up, Monte Harrison, Edward Cabrera, Braxton Garrett, uh, Trevor Rogers. These are names that in an ordinary season, a lot of those names we would not have seen in the major league level we thought maybe there would be some circumstances in 2020 that led to those guys being uh leaned on it was not really the way that i think we expected but they certainly did have to turn to all that young talent now that being said i didn't expect them to make a, a playoff appearance and they did uh and not only that but they go on the road to chicago and knock out the cubs uh in the opening round of the postseason in the national league it's a this is something that has not been said much in the last 17 years of baseball it's a fun time to be a marlins fan right now got a new gm ton of exciting young talent make the playoffs win a, a series in that opening round uh in chicago the marlins have a very bright window opening they do they do and they <clears throat> a lot of what they have to decide next is which of these prospects are going to stick you know some of these guys Sixo sanchez is definitely sticking like Sixo sanchez turned into basically their ace uh, down the stretch, Kelsey mentioned his his playoff start, uh, which was phenomenal to watch. And it, <clears throat> it was really fun to watch, given our jobs, knowing what he's done in the past, both in the Phillies and the Marlin systems, and then having everybody realize who he is about the same time uh, and kind of being like, no, he's always been this dominant. Uh, it was pretty fun. Um, but, you know, Jazz Chisholm had, had his struggles at times. Jesus Sanchez got sent down. Um, Monte Harrison basically was used as a defensive replacement slash pinch runner at, at certain places. They still have to figure out what they want to do with the outfield, but they have so many options. I mean, that's what made this run so great. And, and Don Mattingly won manager of the year because, you know, he was pressing the right buttons, but uh, a lot of that has to go into how deep they've made this organization and how deep they've made the farm system and being able to bring up just guys who ooze talent is, is great. I know, like I said, I, I know Monte Harrison certainly has his strikeout worries, but it, there aren't that many better people to go out and just grab a baseball in the outfield. And, and he, his arm is especially good as well. He, he's good on the base pass. Lewis Brinson isn't a prospect anymore, but at one time really was a great prospect. He's somebody who can still play well either in center or in right. Um, you know, they, it, the, the way they were able to make the playoffs this year is a testament to what they're building. Now they have to make those next calls, but Kim Ang being at the helm there 
Um, they certainly got somebody who's experienced, somebody who's ready for that challenge. And I'm really excited to see what they do um, and, and try to take that next leap. Cause I don't think they should be thinking in terms of, okay, what can we do to contend in 2022? They're already there. What are they going to do to either push these guys internally or get some external help and really get them in the mix there with the, you know, the Nats who are, are one year removed from winning a national or a world series, the Mets who are definitely going to contend next year uh, with the financial impl uh, implications of their new owner, uh, the Braves who are good year in and year out and, and the Phillies as well. Um, it's going to be really exciting times for that Marlins system. And, and the way they were able to build it is where we started to see a little bit of growth this year, but hopefully we can only see that expand out to more to the, the JJ Bladays, maybe even the Max Myers, uh, Edward Cabrera would like to see him make his debut. Luan Diaz is, is waiting for, or he got 14 games this year, but uh, would like to see him expand on that a little bit. Uh, there's more here that still have, haven't arrived on the major league scene yet. So keep them uh, eyes peeled on Miami uh, for the next couple months. And uh, two categories to go uh, prospect likely to go viral. I don't know if we have like a, a winner of this category, but we all selected uh, our own prospects. Now a couple of these names, mine specifically uh, did not make the major leagues. Uh, Sam Nate Pearson. I took Mackenzie Gore. We both thought that those were pitching ninja um, gifts of immortality, just as shoe ins. And uh, obviously, Mackenzie Gordon did not happen. Kelsey took Taylor Trammell. And uh, Josh chose Derek Hill. Uh, Sam, Nate Pearson, I think had he been healthy all season, we probably would have seen that. We did see some of it, um, but not, I guess, quite in the way that maybe we would have expected from a full season. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, the one thing I'll do here instead, because we talked a lot about Nate Pearson and how he, he missed time with the, the flexor strain, uh, is – because this one isn't as hard and fast. It's not hard home runs, strikeouts, or rookie of the year. Um, so I'll open it up instead this way, and I'll throw out who I think did go viral as a, as a rookie or a prospect this year. And that is where I'm going to bring back Devin Williams. Um, Devin Williams' pitch might have been the most shared, I think, on Pitching Ninja this year. That that's, was part of my th thought process for going with Nate Pearson. Uh, but Devin Williams' changeup might have been the best in baseball this year. Uh, the way he was able to get swings and misses on it, the way he was able to play it off of his fastball and still make people think he was going to throw the fastball, even though he threw the changeup 52.7% of the time. Uh, batters only got two hits off it all year, and they struck out 41 times off the changeup. Uh, it was just crazy stuff for him. So that's – I feel like, you know, whatever you wanted to call that weapon – People were trying to name it. People were trying to share as many clips of it as they could. They were sharing highlight reels. There were other guys who went viral in, in their own ways. I think anytime Kyle Lewis like got a single hit, all of Seattle rejoiced. So he had the northwest corner of the country uh, locked down pretty well. And Luis Robert did a couple times. The ones I'm thinking of are on the defensive side where he would like steal a ball away from Eloy Jimenez. Uh, he would come all the way to left field, stuff like that. Um, but I think Devin Williams with, with his changeup might've taken the cake in this category. Do you guys have any other ones that you can, can think of that really struck a chord? I, I know Kelsey, you spent a lot of time looking at social media. I mean, I'm pretty happy with my pick of Taylor Chamel. Um, when I picked him, I said that, you know, he has big personality and he, and can hit the home runs and rob home runs and also try to steal and do fun, but that he also 
uses his platform for social injustices. And in September, he wrote a piece for the Players' Tribune um, called Baseball is Not Black Enough. And yes, this was not a web gem, this was a pitch or anything that exciting, but he did by all definitions and all accounts go viral. This was one of the most shared things I saw across my feeds um, and not just baseball fans, but just in general, just to have his voice speak out. Um, so I'm pretty proud of that. And, and then he also got traded. So that's more viral head headlines. Um, but just to leave with the piece of Taylor Trammell rather than me just bragging about him doing well, I'll just say, I'll just read the last lines. It says, there's real change happening, but we gotta get louder in baseball. You hear me? We need voices and we need more black players on the field. What are we waiting for? Yeah, Taylor Trammell's a pretty awesome guy. And uh, he's one of those voices that we really read a lot from and learned a lot from, you know, this, uh, this summer, we obviously had uh, Josiah Gray and Nick Heath on the show. And um, it was a really interesting time to see guys using their platforms uh, in such different ways than we were used to, um, you know, in a, a summer like this, that was so different from ordinary summers and um, Taylor Jamal, pretty cool stuff. Josh uh, with Derek Hill, any, any Derek Hill updates? Uh <laughs> Yeah, he made a he made a few catches. I, I don't think that any of them were um, as uh, totally wild as I as I, or totally um, you know owned the owned the night of web gems the the way that I anticipated. But you know I I'll stand by the pick because I I still think he is he's capable of that. He did. Yeah. Um. There was like. One night in September, I was trying to find the video and I couldn't, so that tells you how how viral it didn't go. But there was like a game in September when he um, made a really incredible catch against the Indians. Um, he's uh, keep your eye out for more viral tweets and such featuring Derek Hill is what I'll say. I like it. I like it. And our final category. Uh, World Series champions. We had one correct selection. We also had one correct selection of the matchup. And uh, that one was Sam. Sam chose the Tampa Bay Rays over the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, I, being the eternal optimist that I am, said, well, it's 2020. The Astros are probably going to win it all given the rest of this year. Um, they, they came close to, to making it back. Uh, but I also did mention the Los Angeles Dodgers and uh, Atlanta, apparently, according to these notes. I don't remember. Uh, Kelsey took the Yankees also uh, noted that the Dodgers she thought would be in it. And Josh chose the Dodgers to win. So congratulations to uh, at least current Los Angelino, Josh Jackson for uh, his correct selection. Thank you, Tyler. I know how much that means coming from you and you're <laughs> of the Dodgers. Um, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know what to say about that. It, uh, it did just seem like this was kind of going to be the year where like, all right, if they don't win, like they have to win, right? Um, and they did. So, yeah, that's all I'll say about that. Kelsey, Yankees, uh, another tough postseason for them this year. But, yeah. you know, I mean, still a team that's, you know, they are the Yankees still. He just ran out of steam once again. You know, they have all the pieces and they have, I mean, all season long, they were inconsistent. They would either score 12 runs or zero runs. Um, so, that you can't do that in the postseason. Yeah, I uh, you know, I just figured all the 
all the narratives were bad in 2020 so far, so why wouldn't the Astros win the Worlds? And honestly, when they came back from down 3-0, I was yeah. like, oh, of course this is the way it's going to happen. Like, everybody was – there was so much baseball shot in foot over the 3-0 lead for the Rays. Then all of a sudden it was going to game seven, and it was just like, well, this uh, this would figure that this is the way it's going to be, but the, the Rays able to outlast the Astros. Um, yeah, I kind of figured the, the Dodgers were going to be there in the end. Um, didn't know if necessarily they were going to win it, but they're just so good, that team. Uh, and the team that blew a substantial LCS lead to them, Atlanta, was my other uh, thought piece as well. Um, two teams that I would imagine we're probably going to see matching up in the in the postseason in years to come as well. Uh, and Sam, you went for it with the Rays and came up just short. Yeah, yeah. It, it was funny listening back to that episode because I – pause for about three seconds and I remember vividly just the thought going in my head of ping-ponging back between the Rays and the Dodgers, Rays and the Dodgers, Rays. and I settled on the Rays part for the heat of the take but also um, just because I thought you know if there's anybody who could weather a 60 game season it was the Rays we talked about this with the Marlins that they had such a deep system if anything were to happen they could just plug guys in and keep rolling and obviously they didn't have any COVID scares, at least that I can remember, uh, on the level of the Marlins. Um, so they didn't even have to tap into that depth, but, um, you know, they tinkered and tailored and they got their way to the World Series and survived some scares, like you mentioned, against the Astros. Uh, just couldn't quite overcome the Dodgers because I think the Dodgers just had the peak talent. You know, there's one thing to have depth, but there's another thing to have Mookie Betts and, you know, Justin Turner having a very good series and Corey Seager playing like, you know, we haven't – seen Corey Seager play like in a very long time um, and you know Cody Bellinger still being on the roster even if he wasn't quite at, at his peak as well and Clayton Kershaw coming through in the postseason in a way uh, maybe we hadn't seen before and Walker Bueller being your number two pitcher like they just rolled over you with talent and when we were making these predictions I don't remember if Mookie Betts had signed his extension yet or not he probably had um, but the fact that they were just able to bring him into the fold. And even now Dodgers are still popping up in trade rumors for Francisco Lindor and Nolan Arenado. And it's like, how do you still have the pieces for the, Oh wait, you do like you look at their farm system and they still have pieces to pull off another blockbuster. Should they so choose? And they obviously have the finite uh, financial capital to do the same thing. Um, so, you know, it, you, you want to see teams that invest in their club and, invest in their players and try to get as much talent as possible and treat the players really well. It seems like from everything we've heard coming up through the player development pipeline and be rewarded in that way. And, you know, the Dodgers were able to tip that scale this year. Uh, so hats off to them, but don't sleep on the race. As we're speaking right now, apparently there's talk of a, maybe a Blake Snell trade which feels off to me. Um, but you know, this is a team that's always looking to improve and they're not just going to sit on themselves and think like, okay, let's run it back. Uh, the Rays don't run it back very often. Uh, so uh, we'll see what next chapters they have, but they're, they're now at the doorstep in the way the Dodgers were the last couple of years. Maybe they can finally break through in 2021. We'll have to see, hopefully with Wander Franco, uh, but we'll, I'll leave that for the, uh, you know, preview episode that we're going to have next spring. The 2021 prediction show. We'll get there. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> like we're we're gonna have ready a lot right now. to Let's talk go. about on that show yeah uh, there's just there's too many things i can talk about talking about if you check the tape josh has already made his 2021 <laughs> actually I think he, I think and they were all right 
There are. You just threaded them in there. Um, so those were our uh, our predictions and just how wrong we were when you look back at how young and dumb and innocent we all were uh, five, six months ago. Uh, but uh, a big thanks to all of you for hanging out with us through another conversation of the 2020 season that was and uh, the uh, predictions that yeah, uh, largely, I don't think our batting average is very high on these episodes. I'll say that. I mean, it's high yeah. enough. Yeah, exactly. You only need three out of 10. Oh, man. Kelsey Hennigan and Josh Jackson, you can uh, find on the site. You can find on the tweets as well. And uh, thanks, guys. As always, we'll do this again in like four months. Sounds good. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Last segment before a, uh, a day of the year in which I do very unhealthy things in terms of my food consumption to myself. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. What's, what's your favorite dish, I guess? I um, so I'm normally like a very, uh, my food has to be, I can't usually mix a whole lot of foods like if i've got stuff on the plate i usually want to keep it all apart especially if it's like a hot thing and a cold thing like if i get uh you know let's say i go to a place and i'm having a steak and it comes with a salad that cannot be on the same plate it cannot be touching like a warm potato or the meat or whatever but when it comes to thanksgiving i just everything runs into everything and it's my favorite it's like if i get a bite of turkey with mashed potatoes and stuffing and gravy and cranberry and whatever and it's all piled on top of each other i love it but i think my favorite is uh i think stuffing i love me some stuffing so i grew up for some reason and anybody who knows me growing up is gonna roll their eyes at this but like i was a very picky eater and i just got in my mind that i would not like certain things so and stuffing was one of those things and when i turned like 16 and i was like screw it i'm gonna have stuffing now i was like what do you mean this is like this is fantastic yeah this is awesome this is like spiced bread with mixed other things in it and it's warm and it's gooey and it's, oh it's just so good so was that your pick were you a stuffing guy I, I think it might be still cranberry sauce okay okay i have to be who i am and i will also add uh because i am a weirdo i apparently in some circles i am a canned cranberry sauce guy I, yeah see i don't have any problem with canned cranberry sauce either it's I'm good it with just it. I know like there's a little bit of metallic taste to it, but like, it's just so good. Yeah. I'm all right with it. It's yeah. fine with me. Yeah. You know, um, I, yeah, I also have no issue with stovetop stuffing. Like it's, I don't know. Everybody, my, so ordinarily I'm not traveling for Thanksgiving this year. Cause you know, I'm trying to be responsible and uh, ordinarily I go to my mom originally from New York city. We'll go out there and uh, that's where her sister still lives. And now my sister lives out there with her family, but normally my aunt makes like no exaggeration, like 25 different side dishes for Thanksgiving. And she makes like this just obscenely complicated stuffing that has like all kinds of stuff in it that doesn't need to be in stuffing. That's a kind of, just throw some stovetop on there, man. I don't, I don't need any bougie stuffing. Get that out of my face. What? Like, do you guys have like the typical Italian Thanksgiving too? Like, is there? Z oh yeah. And oh Yeah. We start with the antipasta like 11 o'clock in the morning. Then we do a full uh, lasagna and meatballs and sausage course. And that's before we have the full Thanksgiving meal, 
which comes with like 20 some side dishes. So we essentially eat like seven meals. Oh, it's great. Man. It's great. I love it. And I'm going to miss it so much this year, but uh, you know, sure. I'll still find a way to eat myself to a coma, a food coma. It'll be delightful. I, all, all that matters is that it's good tasting food and there's lots of it. Exactly. And we can all watch the Detroit lions lose. Um, <laughs> I always cheer for the Lions on, on Thanksgiving. I remember growing up watching Barry Sanders and being like, man, that guy really deserves to be on a good team. And he never was. I'm sorry, Lions fans. You've got Casey Mize now. If you're a crossover fan of Detroit sport, Pistons seems like they did some fun stuff the other night in the draft. The Red Wings are, you know, whatever they're doing. They, they exist. That reverse retro jersey is woof. I kind of got jobbed there. But uh <laughs> Sorry, Detroit. We'll, we'll lay off of you. Um, that is uh, is our, our Thanksgiving take. And before we get out of here, Sam's got our nationwide prospect back to the week. How about well, that segue? I mean, well, no, there actually is a segue here. Yes. Uh, I did not tell there. Tyler what, what this segue was going to be, but I was just like, all right, listen, we're going to have our prospect fun fact. It's the week of Thanksgiving, as we established in the first segment. It's not Thanksgiving season. It's just this week. We're not going to do another Thanksgiving-related fact next week, but I wanted to find a minor leaguer with the name Turkey in some fashion, huh. in some fashion, and I succeeded okay. Okay. somehow. I searched other words. I searched cranberry. I searched gravy. I searched, like, stuffing. There was no stuffing. I searched stuff, and there was some interesting results there. But I feel like There's got to be, like, a, you know, a dude who played for a, a 1920 Class D North Carolina State League team whose nickname was Turkey. So this this guy I'm going to discuss here, there were three guys I found um, named Turkey, but I want to specifically talk about Turkey Tyson, whose birth Turkey name was Cecil Washington Tyson. And okay. Baseball Reference lists him as Turkey Tyson, but his nickname was Slim. Huh. I thought Turkey would have been the nickname to go with there, but anyways, his nickname is listed as Slim. Who knows if that's true or not? Turkey Tyson played, according to baseball reference, 1,756 games in the minor leagues. He got 6,271 plate appearances. He ended with a career batting average of 309, uh, hit just 18 home runs over 15 seasons. It was a different era. He started in 1938. His last season was in 1952. Um, some of the leagues that he played in in 1938 were the Cotton States League and the Georgia-Florida League. Uh, those were in levels C and D. Uh, his fat last season was with Rocky Mount in the Coastal Plain League. Uh, Rocky Mount, which is one of those uh, North Carolina towns that had a bunch of minor league history. So I was sort of close. Yeah, Rocky Mountain Leafs, if you, if you can believe that. Okay. that. was That was their team name. Um, yeah, so Turkey Tyson, like I said, career 309 hitter. He got one at bat in the major leagues. Like Moonlight Graham. Basically, Although like he Moon, got well, zero. Yeah, I would say like Moonlight Graham, except this guy actually got uh, one plate appearance. Uh, he appeared for the Philadelphia Phillies against the Boston Braves on Sunday, April twenty third, nineteen forty four. He pinch hit for the pitcher in the ninth inning. Uh, unfortunately, did not end well for our friend Turkey. He flew out uh, to third base. Why that's listed as a fly ball on this, despite it going to third base, I'm not sure. The Phillies lost that day. Five nothing. It was actually a one hitter. Boston Braves pitcher uh, Jim Tobin went all nine innings. He only allowed one hit and one walk. Did not strike out a single batter the entire game. Different era for you there on that one. 
Um, but yeah, one time All-Star won the World Series in 1945, did Jim Tobin. Uh, so there you go. There are some Turkey Tyson facts if you want to share those around your household uh, come Thursday and you're just sitting around trying to think of what can we do to kill time during halftime of this Lions game or whatever other games are going on on Thursday. I'm very happy uh, to have guessed that he was a North Carolinian uh, who played in random North Carolina leagues. He also, in addition to playing in the uh, Cotton States League, as Sam pointed out, he also played later on in the Tobacco State League, which was uh, in North Carolina. So he, you know, crossed off the the staple crops of the the Southeast. But do we establish why they list his nickname as Slim? If his name is Cecil Washington Tyson <laughs> and he's listed on baseball reference as Turkey Tyson? Is he Turkey or is he Slim? Baseball reference nicknames, and maybe this story's already out there. I'm not he's also sure. listed at 6'5", 225, which I feel like he was the largest man in America in the 1940s. That's probably why he was called Turkey, to be honest. I don't know where Slim, or slim. comes from. Yeah. <laughs> um, 6'5", 225. That's a, that's a hefty felon. But, um, yeah, baseball reference nicknames, how they come up with this stuff, I'm not sure. The one that always stands out to me is David Ortiz, who has the most notable nickname in baseball of like the last 30 years, maybe uh, big poppy, as we all know him, his other nickname on baseball reference is cookie monster. Huh. Don't know where that came from. Don't know why that got added. Like, just leave it at big poppy. That's totally fine. Just leave it there. Uh, but yeah, they throw in some other ones in there as well. So I'm sure there's a story. Maybe that'll be a story we can assign to Josh for next year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But there you go. I, story uh, of Turkey Tyson. My favorite nickname listed on baseball reference is uh, I somehow got into looking up uh, a guy named Bob Ferguson, who lived from 1845 to 1894. Um, And he was just one of those like very early era baseball lunatics who had like, you know, I think he like beat up umpires and did all kinds of crazy stuff. But his nickname, which I thought was super unique, was death to flying things. Um, because he was such a good defensive player. But then I learned after tweeting that out, uh, a bunch of people from Mariners Twitter got on me. Franklin Gutierrez, his nickname was Death to Flying Things that I think Dave Niehaus bestowed on him, the legendary Mariners broadcaster. So Mm. I thought Death to Flying Things was just like these, you know, post-Civil War ballplayers. And uh, (laughs) apparently not. Apparently Franklin Gutierrez also got that nickname. I can't tell you the amount of times in which I've seen like Mudcat Grant Oh yeah. Yeah. Come multiple up. Mudcat grants. Yeah. Which is very befuddling to me because it'll talk about a different era than the current Padres broadcaster played in. Um, and yeah, we, we should like retire nicknames. That's, that's the next step. <laughs> which, uh, you know, in, in 2020 it would cause a lot of problems because everybody's nickname is just first initial first syllable of last name. It's true. A rod. Like that commercial with Andy Roddick. All right, that's enough. We're, we're getting out of here. <laughs> yeah. He's Sam. I'm Tyler. Happy Thanksgiving. Get in touch with the show if you like. Podcast at MILB.com. Uh, and take care of yourselves. Be safe. Be smart. Wear a mask. Social distance. Uh, eat as much food as you could possibly enjoy to, uh, to help yourself to a lovely Thanksgiving. And we hope it's a great one for you and yours. And uh, for Sam, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.